So we're continuing tonight, Parshas Vayechi, on exploring a munah. Very, very important to say about a is that an emuna in the Torah, we believe in Hashem, of course, but there's also a, a very, very important uh, concept that we have to have a Muna in the Torah. The Torah, which is the Dvar Hashem, it's Hashem's word, it's Hashem's book. Um, it's quite amazing if you think that, and the Chavetz Chaim points this out, that, you know, Chumash is Mamash, the safer of the Rabbi People go and they find Svarim from this God, all this Risha, and this Achor, and they you know, go crazy that they just discovered a new, I don't know, whatever, a certain Pirish. He says, this is the book of the Rabbanish. The Rabbanish himself wrote the Torah. And, you know, everybody should be understanding that, that this is Mamish, the, the, the not the Bayak, this is the, the written word of HaKadosh Baruch. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wrote the Torah. And so if HaKadosh Baruch Hu wrote the Torah, then we have to believe, and it's really one of the Yud Gimel Ikrim, one of the 13 tenets of our faith is to believe that uh, everything that's in the Torah is emes, and that there's not going to be another Torah. There's never going to be an, a, a new addition to Torah. Right? Like the, uh, you know, uh, the Knights Room, they believe in, you know, there's an Old Testament, and then there's a New Testament, there's additions to the Torah, if anyone believes that, then that is their kaifer bikr. They're one of the their kaifer and one of the gimel ikrim, because we don't believe that we believe the Torah that we have is exactly as is. This is what was given to us uh, on our Sinai, and it will never change. It's immutable. It will never change, and everything that's contained within the Torah is emes. There's no such thing as something that uh, you know. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not true, and. That's why it's, by the way, very dangerous to read um, from Svarim or from websites or, or anything that's not, uh, that doesn't have a Haskam on it. The reason why there was, I don't know if it was a Takana, but there's definitely a very strong Minig in Kal Yisrael over the past many centuries that, that Svarim are published with Haskamas. Even Svarim that are a Likud Saber, like I'm, we're learning tonight from a Saber called Yalkut Lekachtayv. So he's really bringing down, like, you know, Tyra from all of the great Gedalim. It's not like he's not saying any of his own Tyra, but yet even he decided that he needed Haskamas. And most Svarim today, very few Svarim, are printed without Haskamas. And the reason for that is, and if you go to Eretz Yisrael, they take it to another level, like even games, puzzles, uh, coloring books, toy, everything, you know, books for children, everything requires askama. It's an amazing, they need a badat, they need a edacharei, there's something they need, they need, why? Because you have to be very careful where you're getting your sources of information. A lot of times, uh, you're reading a book, or you're reading a, a magazine, or you're reading a, a website, or a newspaper article, and you think it's kosher, you think that it was written by a rabbi, uh, we don't know who the rabbi is, but it says rabbi, and his, you know, he throws around some Gemara Lashinus and Hebrew words, and you think that, oh, he must be, uh, he must be legit. And sometimes, it's, you, know, you, you find sometimes, uh, especially on certain websites, that the Torah that's, being, uh, that's, that's written there is really fake Torah. And the Makairis are not real Makairis, or even if they're real Makairis, sometimes uh, they use their own... Um, 
you know, creative licenses to, uh, to change facts and to put uh, things that are really not good hashkafas into our minds. So uh, without getting into any specifics, I don't want to myself be guilty of poisoning anybody's mind, but if you, you know, if you look around in a lot of books, what passes for Svarim, and they might be sold even in, in Svarim stores, uh, a lot of times they, you know, people say pshatim and they think that it's being creative and it might be about the others or about the mice and they have this whole hypothesis about, you know, really what was really happening and, and sometimes you're really touching a third rail of, uh, of, of yadas because it's a dangerous game by, by you're, you're literally, um, you know, changing and distorting truths that we hold very near and dear and, and People think, oh, it's brilliant, and it sounds good, and it's psychology, and they're putting themselves into into the uh, into the avis, into the mice. They're trying to get the psychological take on it. And uh, in fact, I just saw recently that it's a little bit of a funny example I'm bringing, but they told uh, somebody set up shot to the briskarov on last week's parsha how when Yosef met Yaakov for the first time. So it says that Yaakov didn't hug him, he didn't kiss him. Why? Because he was saying Kriyashma. Rashi brings that. So everyone asks the question, if, he was, if it was man for Kriyashma, so then why wasn't Yosef also saying Kriyashma? And there's a thousand terutsim, you know, either Yosef was Isaac Mitzvah Patrim and Mitzvah, he's doing Kibbutz, or he said it before, he's going to say it after. Whatever the Pshatim are, many, many different Pshatim. So somebody told the Riskarov the following Pshat that they thought was a beautiful Pshat. They thought the Riskarov would like it also, and, and the Riskarov did not like it at all. And the pshat was that Yaakov Avinu, when he met Yasef for the first time, he wanted to channel all of that love that he had for his son, Tashem. And so by saying Kriyashma, he was basically taking all of that pent-up love that he had for Yasef, and, and instead of giving it to Yasef, he gave it to the Rabbi Nishlam. He sort of, he, 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 it's a beautiful pshat, right? It's a, he sort of sent it heavenward, that love he gave as a gift to the Rabbi Nishlam. That was his Kriyashma. When the Briskarov heard this pshat, he got very upset. He says, don't put your own emotional uh, uh, you know, situation into the Abbas. So we're talking about Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu, you know, was doing fine. He didn't need to, to channel any, any love. He had enough love for the Rabbi Nishlam. It happens to be just Agavorcha that this isn't any pshat. The pshat that was told to the Rizkarov was a maral. I don't know if it was quoted to him as a maral, but the pshat happens to be exactly the words of the maral. The maral Mamash says the pshat, I think, in Gorarie. But be that as it may, I guess it was presented to the, to the Riskarov as somebody, I don't think he would have criticized the Maral, I can't imagine, but uh, he probably was told it, you know, in the name of just, or, or maybe not in anyone's name, and his, his reaction to it was that, that don't take the Abyss and humanize them as we are. Like, we could maybe do that, like, I want to put my love, don't, don't take your own psychological, react, emotional type of, uh, of understanding of what's going on and try to put that, stick that into the obvious. It's not what we do. So it's very important for us to know that. And I guess, you know, sometimes we like saying our Amshat and we, could, and, and we all do this, but we have to understand that the obvious are Kaidish Kadashim and all the stories are in the Torah are Kaidish Kadashim. And we're not to basically take our, we could take lessons from the Torah, 
but always with the understanding that we really don't know what we're talking about. I, I'll never say a shmuz and say, and that's why, you know, this, uh, you know, these shvatim were bad, and the it, you know, the achim with Yosef, like, we always have to understand, like, even though, like, the brothers of Yosef have this terrible, you know, rap from the, from the parshas here, and everybody's like, you know, beating up on them, and how they hated Yosef, they were jealous of Yosef, and, and the Pshutah Shemikra is, is that. I mean, it says it black and white in the Torah, but at the same time, we're talking about the Avos HaKadosh. You wouldn't say that about, about Rav Chaim Kanievsky and about uh, Rav Yashem, about the Stipler and about uh, Rav Yosef. We wouldn't ever accuse them of being jealous of another, you know, of a brother or another Talmud Chacham. So, chas v'shalom to say that the brothers were jealous in a, in, a, in a way that we would be jealous. Whatever it means, I know that the Torah says that they were jealous, so you have to understand what it means, but it definitely does. It's like the Tamidu Yerbi Akiva, when they die because Lainagu Kabbat Zebazah, all the Muslims farm say, doesn't mean that they, you know, pulled the chair out of another guy, you know, before, while he was about to sit down. Doesn't mean that they did things that were mamish, you know, like horrible things, atrocities, all the Muslims farm say, if you would have seen the Tamidu Yerbi Akiva, were all Tanoim, you wouldn't be able, you would think that they were tzaddikim gemurim, the way that they spoke to each other. But on a microscopic level, there was something off, and that's why they were punished. But it doesn't mean, we should never like humanize it and try to, we could take lessons ourselves, and we always do. You know, times of Sira, we always speak about Kavad Zelazah because of what we could take away from it, but never to plug those concepts into these great people. So the Torah is basically um, a book that we have to, we don't we could take things from, but it's a it's Hakadosh Baruch Hu's book. It's Hakadosh Baruch Hu's Devar Hashem, and it can't be changed. And we can't. Uh, and everything that we know in life is based on the reality, which is the Torah, not on our perception of the world. And then we put that into the Torah. We get our perception of the world. From the Torah. That's a chelak of Amun. We have to believe in whatever the Torah says. Of course, we have to believe in all the Nevi'im, and the Nevi'im give us all of the Nevuah about Achir Sayyamim, about when Mashiach is going to come, and the belief in, uh, uh, you know, in what, in Scharva Einish, and all the things good and bad that happen in the world. But every word of the Torah, we have to have Amunah in and Bitachin that it's true, and it will come to, and, and, and the Nevuah will come to fruition, etc. Now, one very, very interesting part of this parsha is that it says that Yaakov Avinu Vayigva uh, Vayasef Elamav. He basically was was gathered into his nation, meaning Yaakov Avinu passed away in this week's parsha. So there's a Gemara in Tainus, well-known Gemara in Dafheim Abiz. The Gemara says that Yaakov Avinu Loimes. Yaakov Avinu did not die. Didn't die. And the Gemara says, wait a minute, what do you mean he didn't die? Doesn't the Torah say, Beferish, that uh, they were maspid him, they gave eulogies for him, they were chaynate him, they, they, uh, they embalmed him, they, they took his body and they, the Egyptian doctors and they were able to preserve his body. That's something that's only done by a dead person. You don't do that with a live person. And then they buried Yaakov Avinu, it says, so what, what so the Gemara is asking, like, what's, how can you even say that, Pshat, that Yaakov Avinu didn't die, like, it really flies in the face of Psukim in the Torah. And the Gemara says, what am I supposed to tell you? Mikra ni darish, I can't help it, I'm darshing a Pasuk, Pasuk is in Yermio, Parak Lamed, and we darshan 
we have a heckish between Yaakov and his children, just like his children are alive, he is also alive as well. And in terms of what they did to him, it just appeared as if they did these things. They were masmen, they, they did chanot on him, they, uh, they embalmed him, they buried him. It, it looks like they did it, but on a certain level, it didn't really happen. Very hard to understand. So, so Leib Chasman, who was one of the great Bali Musa, he was a rabbi of Rav Shalom Shadron, uh, he writes in a Sefer Aryahel, which if you ever want to look at it, we have a beautiful copy, I think we have two copies actually in the base Medrash, that the, um, that if a person sees with his own eyes his friend, Reuven, and he hears his voice, and, but he thinks that the, that the sound of his voice is the sound of Shimon, meaning I see with my eyes Reuven, but I hear the sound and it sounds like Shimon, so what would be your takeaway? What would be your conclusion? That which is the one that's lying to you, the Re'iyah or the Shmi'ah? Which do you trust more, what your eyes see or what your ears hear? No wrong answers. Your eyes see, right? You trust your eyes. If I see you in front of my face, I trust that it's you. I, but all of a sudden you start talking to me and you sound like Chaim. Okay, so you sound like Chaim, what can I do? But, but I, I trust my eyes. My eyes are telling me that it's you, and therefore, it's you. Your sounds, okay, maybe you have laryngitis, maybe, you know, there's a ventriloquist in the room, I don't know, but it's you. I see it's you. Why is that? Because the fact that I could see something is stronger than the chush hashmiyah. Shmiyah is less accurate than re'iyah. Re'iyah is accurate, I see you, trust my eyes that it's you, Shmiya, you know, I could be fooled. I could, you know, sometimes two people could sound similar. And when two of these conflicting chushim clash, so I'll always side with the re'iyah over the shmiya. He says, and if this is true by shmiya versus re'iyah, definitely if a person says that Pliny died, and then he sees that, it's, that he's really alive, so who would you trust? The one that told you that he died, or the one that told, or the or the fact that you see that he's alive. Obviously, the fact that I see I see he's alive that that I trust over the fact that even if somebody told me that he's dead, obviously that guy didn't know what he was talking about or he was lying to me because you know because he was uh, he's very much alive. Sometimes you see stories like this that people I think even Reb Chaim um, the Arsameach Rameir uh, Simcha. Uh, I think I read once in a biography about him that, that they thought, you know, in those days they didn't have like accurate reporting always. It was like very hearsay. They wrote a whole hespit for him in a, a whole obituary for him in a newspaper uh, assuming that he was dead. They got just a bad report that he maybe was sick and they assumed he, they thought he died. They heard a rumor that he died. So they put a whole obituary and he's still alive. He like was reading his own obituary. And that happens. It's very common. There's other stories about that. I think... Uh, the one that won the Nobel Prize, the one that invented, um, he started the Nobel Peace Prize, the Nobel, you know, it's a few prizes, well, Alfred Nobel. So he, uh, I think he was French, and he invented dynamite. He invented dynamite. Uh, and he made a fortune on it. Because, but he didn't invent dynamite to make uh, bombs. He was actually a very big pacifist. He wanted world peace. 
he happened to invent dynamite in order to create roads. How do you make, like, when you drive up into, you know, in the mountains, uh, you know, and there's, uh, you know, and there's a beautiful highway, like the 17, that takes you up to the Catskills. It's not like that wasn't there from Sheshitimei Bereshis. They had to basically blow up mountains in order to create somewhat of a highway. That's where there's, like, mountains on, on either side of it, but you're, you're sort of going through a mountain sometimes. And how did they do? They do that with, with dynamite. They put some sticks of dynamite and, and they, boom, they kablooey, they, they blow up a whole chunk and then they pave it over and now you have a road. That's what he created it for. And then all of a sudden, like, people, like, country started buying it and chap, like, what, why he was getting so many sales all of a sudden, he, how many roads do you need? And all of a sudden he realized that what he stood for, he was known to be a pacifist and he, you know, unbeknownst to himself, created the greatest weapon in the world and people were buying it and they were dropping bombs and destroying people and wars were like being started with this dynamite that he started. So anyway, he had a brother who died, but the papers for some reason got the wires crossed and they heard that he died, that Alfred Nobel died. But it really, it wasn't Alfred, it was, it was his brother, whatever his brother's name was. And he had the, the ability to read his own obituary, which is something, it's pretty cool actually, you know, to be able to see what people will write about you after you die. It's not so cool if you're already dead, but it's cool if you're still alive and, you're, and you get to read it. But he didn't like what he read. He, uh, he read about himself that they called him in the obituary the, um, the merchant of death. I think that's what they called him. Because, so in other words, his, he was going to go down in history as being the person who made, made a buck to kill people. And that was like the opposite of what he was. He, didn't, he wanted to be, get, be known in history as the great pacifist and the great uh, p- lover of peace. And he was the guy that's the, that's the merchant of death. That was the exact opposite of what, what he wanted. So that's why he started this Nobel Peace Prize. He took a lot of his money, maybe all his money, and he put it as a, as, you know, into a trust and as an annuity. Uh, every year they give out millions of dollars to the person that creates world peace. Um, there's also a prize in economics, I think, Nobel in math and science, right? But, right, but the main thing, I mean, the most famous of all of the Nobel Prizes is really peace. That's like the real prize. Like everybody wants the Nobel Peace Prize. So if you're a president, you're a prime minister, you're whatever, everybody's trying to like be that, you know, the, the one that gets that prize. And it's very politicized. Like, you know, I think Obama got it without doing anything. What? Obama got it for being elected. Just for being elected. And then Trump, who brought, he, you know, he made a peace in the Middle East with like five countries at once. He, he, Who is this? Who? Zhao Aung San Suu Kyi, civilian leader of of uh, Burma, Myanmar, whatever. I don't know. That's she had been a democracy well, activist, but then she became in charge, and we discovered that just because she wanted democracy didn't mean that she actually was going to be democratic to say the Muslims lived there. Yeah. All right. So anyway, so so what happened here was that yeah, that so if you know that if you know that uh, somebody, uh, if you hear that somebody died, you read an obituary about somebody, and then you see he's alive, you're not going to question, you know, okay, you're not really alive, you're really, uh, you're actually dead, because somebody told him, I read an obituary about you. If he's alive, he's alive. 
So he says, look what happens here in our Gemara. It's an amazing raya that he, I love this raya, Reb Chasman brings, Reb Chasman. He says, the Gemara asks, did they embalm him for nothing? Did they do it for nothing? You're saying he's dead. You're saying he's still alive. Did they embalm him for nothing? And what's the answer? All right, but what can I do? Mikrani Dairish. So what was the answer? The Torah says with Farish that Yaakovinu dies and you're darshaning from a mikra against the Metzias. The Torah is telling us the Metzias. The Torah is saying that he's, you know, it doesn't, maybe, I don't know if you use Lashon of Misa, it says Vayelsev el but it says that they embalmed him. They eulogized him. They buried the guy. They buried, not the guy, they buried Yaakov Avinu. They buried him. So you're telling, we see from the Torah empirical evidence that he's dead. Somebody's buried in a ground. They think it's safe to assume that he's dead. And the Gemara says, I'm sorry, it can't help you. I, I know that you think that it looks like it, but I'm darshaning a pasuk. There's a, I have a gzera shava, or a hekish of, a, of mahu b'chaim, af, uh, af zara b'chaim, ma zara b'chaim, af b'chaim. So, so why don't you say, so meaning, and Rav Nachman was makabal the answer. He says, you know, okay, fine, I hear that. If we would be there, what would we say? We'd say, what do you mean? Mikra and Yidarsh. That's nice, but maybe, obviously, the Metzias is different than the Mikra. Wouldn't, isn't that what we say? Like, you see the guy die, and then he say, I'm sorry, he's alive. But, but, he's, but the Pasuk said that he's dead. He's, he was put in the ground. I know, but Mikra and Yidarsh, I'm sorry, I have a Gzir Shav, I have a Hekish, I, I, you know, he's, he's still alive. Would you accept that? He said, no, 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 he's not alive. Your drush is obviously wrong. Your drasha has no, there's no truth to your drasha because I saw him buried. But nobody's saying that. No, the Gemara doesn't say, uh, but you're wrong. The Gemara just ends. That's the end of the Gemara. So, Rebbeim Chasman says, from here we see how we have to learn up a Pasuk in the Torah. When Chazal have a Pasuk Mefurash, that is a Metzias HaMitas B'yaser. It doesn't matter. I don't care if you see Yaakov Avinu embalmed, eulogized, buried. I don't care. If I have a drasha in, in the Torah, if I have a drasha, that, that's more empirical evidence than the fact that you see it with your own eyes. The fact that he was buried. The Torah says he's buried. You can't argue with that fact. But you have a drasha. Okay, that drasha, which, which wins? The Metzias that who's buried or the drasha? The, t- the fact that the Torah says something, and it's a drasha, we have a bona fide drasha here to be made, a drasha, it's a drasha in, 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 in Sefer Yermio, it's ma'zar b'chaim, you can say, okay, maybe it's a wrong, no, no, the Gemara didn't even entertain the notion that maybe the drasha is not, not authentic. You have a drasha, that's Torah Misina, that is, that's the greatest proof that you need. It doesn't matter if you see something in Metzias. The Torah trumps Metzias. And that is how important the Torah is. That's, that's a very, very important say that we're learning tonight. That, um, that the Torah is more powerful a proof than the Metzias itself. There's also, um, there's also other riots to this say by the way. Um, I think the Panamacharov brought a raya. It's, there's a Gemara, I think it's in Gitten or maybe Ksuvas, that says that, um, that how do you know that Iraq, um, that, uh, that, um, that Bavel, 
is in north of Eretz Yisrael. You know, you know it because it says mitzafin tiftachara. It says uh, it says mitzafin tiftachara. It's talking about Babel. It's mitzafin. It's north. They have a pasuk. So Rapunzel says, "Why do you need a pasuk? Can't you just look at a map? Take out a map or a globe and just look where Babel is. Why? Why do you have to? Why do you need a, a pasuk?" So he says that it doesn't matter. A map doesn't matter. A globe doesn't matter. Because the, main, the only thing that you can really trust, that you can have a muna in, is, is a taira. Everything else is, may or may not be true, but the taira is true. The Chavetz Chaim used to say, if somebody asks you, how do you know that tomorrow morning the sun is going to rise? How do you know that, you know, you look in, on zmanim.com or whatever, and you see that, that there's going to be a Aleisa Shachar, is this in this time? Uh, you know, how do you know that that's going to happen? How do you know that the sun is going to rise tomorrow morning? So what would you answer? If somebody asked you that, how would you, what would you answer to that? Because it's been rising for the past thousands of exactly. years. Exactly. Every day it's been rising. I don't think it ever stopped rising. Every day it rises, it sets, it rises, it sets. That's, that's the reality, right? But the Chavetz Chaim says, no, that's not the, that's not the right answer. That's, that would have been my answer also. That's not the right answer. What's the right answer? Because there's a pasuk that says in Parshas Nayach, after the Mabel, Hakadosh Baruch Hu says, "Yaim v'laila lo yishbaisu." From now on, during the Mabel, all the constellations stopped. But after the Mabel, "Yaim v'laila lo yishbaisu." Hakadosh Baruch Hu took a shvua that he's never going to stop the series of day and night. If not for that shvua, there would be absolutely no way to guarantee that tomorrow morning the sun is going to rise. Just because it rose today doesn't mean it's going to rise tomorrow. Right? Just because the stock market is up today doesn't mean it's going to be up tomorrow. And just because uh, you know, it, it didn't rain today doesn't mean it's not going to rain tomorrow. Whatever happened today is today. Tomorrow is a whole new thing. If not for the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu committed himself to make it rise, then there's no guarantees. that The fact that it happened this morning does not mean necessarily that it happened. It's true, there's a chazaka of some sort, but that chazakas are, are not always relevant. And... I guess the takeaway, not I guess, this is the takeaway from tonight, that just like we have Amuna and Hashem, we have Amuna and the Torah. And the Amuna and the Torah has to be so strong, and we have to have such a conviction that whatever the Torah says is emes, that it's even more powerful than our Metzias. Our Metzias. And by the way, it's not just the Torah, but it's Divrei Chazal as well. Whatever, it's not just what we have black and white in the Torah. What we have black and white in the Torah is, is not really understandable anyway without Chazal. We have a Chumash, but a Chumash without any Rashi, without any Gemaris on it, without any, any Medrashim on it, is really just a, a book. It doesn't make any sense. The guy in every hotel room in the world has a, you know, has a, has a, a, a holy Bible in the drawer. You open it up. Without a Rashi, without an art scroll, without a stone, you don't, you don't know what it's talking about. I mean, I always wonder, like, what is a guy who opens up a, a, a holy Bible and reads it? And this is what they're supposed to believe in. How do you even understand it? Like, what is it, what is it talking about? Okay, so the story is in Beratius. I guess you could, you could learn it up in any way you want. But, like, when you get into Shemais, Ayikra, Bamidbar, Devarim, like... What do you, you know, okay, every day you're supposed to wear a, um, you know, ornament between your eyes. Like, what is that? Like, everyone's supposed to go to the jewelry store and get, like, a little, uh, uh, what do you call those things, uh, you know, uh, whatever. Like, uh, what, what, what does it mean? How do you, how do you understand? There's no Pshutashal Mikra for them. 
we have a Rashi, we have Chazal, we have Gemara, so we know that it means Tefillin. It doesn't mean literally between the eyes. It means the Makam, the Makam Sha, you know, that the, the, that the Tinaik is Reifef, the, the weak spot in the head, and it's, it has to be, you know, in that area of Bein Echem, and we know what a Luluv and Esrug is from the Tyra, otherwise we wouldn't know what a Luluv and Esrug is. We don't know, we wouldn't know anything, a Karbanis, and oh, it doesn't make sense. So when we speak about having trust in the Tyra, it's not just the Tyra. The Tyra itself, there's really almost nothing to trust because you're not allowed to even read the Tyra without Chazal. It doesn't make sense and it's very, very misleading to just read, you know, just, just pluck him without any understanding of them. It's more dangerous than not learning it at all, in a way, because it's very distorted. And so Chazal are very important. We have to believe in Chazal. Now, I'm not saying that every Chazal is is meant to be taken at face value. There are a lot of agaditas that are very difficult to understand. You have to see what the Mepharshim say on them. But basically, once Chazal do say something, we have to believe it. And when the Chacham are geyser something, that's something that we also have to believe. The Chazal say, it says in the Torah, you're not supposed to veer away from the Divrei Chazal to the right or to the left. And Chazal, Rashi brings it on the spot, even if Chazal, a rabbi, your, let's say Chaim Kanievsky comes to me and he says to me, okay, this, which I know is my right hand, I actually know this is my left hand because there's an L, right? Is that how you learned also how to know right and left? So right, the one that says L, that's my left. Chaim says, no, 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 that, that's your right. No, 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 it's my left. It's, it's, it's a left, it's, it's an L. No, 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 it's your right. From now on, it's your right. If he says that to me, I'm to believe that. What do you mean? But I know, I know myself that, that this is my left and my, I don't need a rabbi for that. Thank you very much. I don't, if they, they tell you something, if they tell you on your left hand that it's your right hand, and the, the most basic thing that you know, I know, empirically I know, but Chazal tell you something different, you have to accept it. That's, the, that's part of our religion as well. And obviously, you know, it doesn't mean that every local rabbi has that power. I'm talking about Sanhedrin, I'm talking about Chekhes I'm talking about the Gedele Adar, but that's also part. Our Amuna has to be very, very, you know, we have to have full conviction in the words of the Torah, the way that Chazal explained the Torah, and the, and the Divrei Chachamim, Chanukah, Purim, these are Yantiv Dirabanan. So you say, ah, it's only Dirabanan. No, 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 this is it. This is part of the Torah. This is what Hashem wants. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave the power to the Chachamim to be Kaveya Yam Taivim, to be make Gezeris, to make Muktza, to make, you know, all the, all the many, many Takhanis Dirabanan that we live with on a daily basis. Shabbos, Patr Abel Asr, all these things that are Midrabanan, that's like a Dairaisa. It's not, you can't say, nah, it's only Dirabanan. That's kfira to say it's only Dirabana. It's part of the Tairas Hashem. It's an extension of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu really wants. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when he gave us the Tairah, gave it to us with that baked-in concept that there are rabbis, there are chachamim that are, that are going to define the Tairah. They're going to they're gonna give new meaning to the Tairah, not you know, in it with a Messiah. The, the Shailos of Shuvah, the Ramesha Feinstein Paskin. This didn't exist 100 years ago, 200 years ago, whether it was, uh, you know, about IVF, about uh, in vitro fertilization, or about, uh, you know, different chemis- chemical things, medical things, heart, you know, open heart surgery, brain death. 
These are things that didn't, weren't even issues 50 years ago, 80 years ago, had a Paschalis, microwave ovens and uh, vector ovens and uh, heating drawers and uh, a million things. I mean, different writing tools and airplanes and, you know, things that weren't Nagea, you know, Ramesh Weinstein took it, he understood it, he, he got from Tysus in, in here and, and uh, Rashba there and he was able to build up whole binyanim to Paschalis. We have to trust in that. That's part of the Tyre. The Tyre wanted that. The Tyre wanted the Chachm Yisrael to be able to understand and to expand the horizons of the Tyre with the times that we live in. And that's also part and parcel of Amunah and Bitachan. We have to be Maminim in the Tyre and in Meshra Abeinu and the Chachm Yisrael. And, and that belief is more powerful than even something that we see physically with our own eyes. If the Torah says something contrary to that, then the, the, the right answer, the reality, in our minds must be what the Torah says, even though that it seems to go against the mitzvahs that our very own eyes are telling us that, that we're seeing.